Hey, my name is Parker Manuel, pastor of Pinewood Church in Boulder, Colorado, where our mission is to meet people where they are and point them to Jesus. Hope you enjoy today's podcast. We're continuing our study through the book of Luke. We are, as an entire church family, we're working through the New Testament this year. And so we're starting off in the book of Luke. Hey, if you are new with us, we want you to jump in right here where we are this week. And we want you to read through the New Testament with us. You can find all that information on our website as well. But the series we're working through right now is Luke, Jesus is King. And we're going to be diving into Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. Let's go ahead and dive into the passage. Luke 14, verse 25 through 35, says this. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and he said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else, your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you can't be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started the building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him. And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss the terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Salt is good for seasoning. But if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Let's pray before we dive in. God, we thank you so much for this clear and profound message that you gave to the crowd. God, I pray right now that your spirit would move, speak to everybody that is watching today. God, I pray that every heart would be open to the truths of your word. I pray that everyone would lean in. And God, I pray that as we hear your word and as your spirit moves, We know that our lives would be transformed. God, we love you so much. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to give you a little bit of context into what is happening here. Jesus is walking. A large crowd is following him. And he turns and he says something really intense. Now, I just want to go ahead and tell you straight up, this is a really difficult passage. I I, As I was reading through this week through our plan, I came across this passage and I felt like God just stopped me in the tracks. He said, hey, I think I want you to lean in here. And I was afraid because I I don't know, Jesus, this is, 
this seems pretty intense. This seems pretty harsh. It sounds like you're really, you're really coming at people. And the more that I began to pray about it, the more I just felt like God was saying, no, I feel like, I feel like your people need to count the cost. They need to understand what's truly involved if they say, I'm a follower of Jesus. See, this is what happened. Jesus was walking, the crowds were following him, and he turns and he declares this clear truth to the people. He was clearly not impressed with their enthusiasm. He was clearly not impressed that there was a large number of people there. Jesus was looking for quality over quantity. If you read a little bit earlier in this text, you're going to see that Jesus is actually talking about two different things here. He's not talking about salvation. He's talking about discipleship. As it relates to salvation, he wants everyone to come. He even says he wants his house filled. Warren Wearsby says it this way. He says, in the matter of saving lost souls, he wants his house to be filled. That's what Luke 14, 23 says. But in the matter of personal discipleship, he wants only those who are willing to pay the price. You see, what Jesus was differentiating here was he says, oh, over here you have fans of what I do. They're highly enthusiastic. And over here you have actual followers of who I am. They get it. But I just want to make sure everyone understands that this is what it means to be a follower. I think that that couldn't be any more of a reality for us today. I think there's a lot of us who would say, I like Jesus. He's a good, he's a good guy. I know that's a lot of people in Boulder. Maybe that's you watching this today. I like Jesus. He's a good guy. He did a lot of really cool things. The miracles, I'm, I think he really did that. I'm down for the miracles. Uh, provision, I'm down for provision. I need all the provision I can get. We're in the middle of a pandemic. I like Jesus. Give me all the provision. We got the hope. We have peace. We have all the good stuff that we love about Jesus. Huge fans. But often we lack self-awareness. Often we lack the reality of what God is actually calling us to when we say we're a follower of surrender to him and submission to him and sacrifice we want all of the benefits, but we don't want to count the cost. We're in the cause. Hey, you know, I, I like the cause, but we don't want to count the cost. You see, salvation is free, but it's not cheap. And in order to truly change, there's going to be a high cost attached to it. The title of today's message is No Ifs, Ands, or Buts. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And the big idea of what I really want to lean into is that following Jesus comes with an extreme cost. Have you counted the cost of what it actually means to be a follower of Jesus? So I'm going to ask a few questions here. I'm going to ask a lot of questions throughout this entire message. And these are reflective questions for you to truly search the depths of your soul to see where do you land? And what Jesus is really trying to teach the crowds here. First question is, who is the most 
important person. Who is the most important person? Let's read this again in verse 25. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and he said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, your wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. So who's the most important person? The most important person is obviously Jesus. Jesus is using what's called a hyperbole as an exaggerated statement for a very specific purpose. It's a hyperbole. Jesus isn't actually calling them to hate, but by comparison, it should look like hate by how much you love me. Another way that you could read that, another way you could say that would be, I want you to love everyone else less. This is confirmed even in Matthew 10, 37. He says, the one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or a daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You see, what Jesus is saying here is that by comparison, our love for him should far exceed our love for any other intimate or personal relationship that we have on this earth. He's number one. So I'll ask you again, who is the most important person? Now, this is kind of hard to really wrap your mind around, I feel like, because there's nothing that, as a father, I wouldn't do for my sons. There's nothing that I wouldn't do for my daughters. Or, you know, as a husband, there's nothing I wouldn't do for my wife. There's nothing I wouldn't give up for them. There's nothing that I wouldn't sacrifice for them. And Jesus is really trying to help us understand if you think that that is a lot of love, then you haven't seen that. I, I want you to love me far greater. Prioritize me far above all of those relationships. Then Jesus goes on to say this. He says to take up your cross and follow me. Matthew 16, 24 says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What does it mean to carry the cross? When Jesus is saying this to the crowds, every single person that is hearing this knows exactly what it means to take up your cross. Everyone would have been very familiar with the crucifixion where the person on trial would, would carry their cross to their death. And he even goes on. He says, deny yourself, love yourself less. In addition to that, take up your cross daily. Carrying the cross is a daily identification with the shame and with the suffering of Christ. It means death to our plans, death to our ambitions, death to our goals, death to our own personal identity, death to our destiny. 
It means that in every way possible, we are dying to ourselves. Jesus gave a very detailed explanation of exactly what it means to die to yourself and to take up his cross in John. In John chapter 12, he says this, verse 23, Jesus replied to them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. The one who loves his life will lose it. And the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. I think Jesus is trying to get everybody in the crowds to understand this one very simple truth. You ready for this? It's not about you. Let that go ahead and sink in for just a second. Isn't everything about us in life? But Jesus is saying here, no. This, if you want to be a follower of me, it is not about you. You take up your cross. You die to yourself. You love me so much that your love for everyone else looks like, hey, it's not about you. You see, Jesus will not share his loyalty. He will not share his allegiance or his glory with anyone else. Talk about thinning the herd. If there's a crowd coming and Jesus declares these truths over everybody, you can imagine they're saying, oh, you mean that's what following you looks like? No, thank you. You, you mean I can't get all that other good stuff without follow, doing that? No, thank you. I'm out. Luke 9, 23 says something very interesting that I want to lean into. It says, And then he said to them, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. There's one critical word here. Daily. And follow me. You see this big grand idea of you just dying to yourself and taking up your cross. It is not a one-time act. It is a daily decision that you have to make. How many of you know that you wake up tomorrow just as selfish as you are today you wake up tomorrow just as broken as you are today you wake up tomorrow and your first thought is it's about me he says no daily take up your cross daily die to yourself and follow me that means that before your feet hit the ground you wake up in the morning and you pick up your cross and you take your first step Questions, and, and then I want to move on. A few questions I want you to consider. What in your life have you prioritized over Jesus? Now, maybe a better way to say that is who in your life have you prioritized over Jesus? Is it your wife? Is it your husband? Is it your kids? 
Uh, I want to make it very plain and very clear, you know. This is practically what that might look like is, you know, I, I want to show up to serve, but it just, it's, it's around my kids' nap time. I want to show up to serve, but my kids have soccer games on those times. I want to show up to church, but my wife has another obligation on that moment. I mean, what are you prioritizing? Who are you prioritizing? I want to study the Bible, but then if I, if I lean that much into studying the Bible, spending time with God, then I'm not spending that much time with my spouse. I want to pray. I want to serve. I want to read. But then I have all these other things. I have all these other people in my life that are also important to me. So Jesus, I just don't know how to juggle all of it. Um, if you could help me out there, I kind of want to give you a little, I kind of want to give them a little, kind of, I kind of want to just spread myself out so that everyone feels good. Jesus, if you could just understand that, that would be great. Well, here, Jesus speaks directly to that. He says, no, there's no understanding that. No, it's me first. It's me. It's always me. It's not about you. Second question to consider is, what is the most precious possession? Verse 33, it says, so you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything that you own. Jesus goes on in this, for the rest of this passage, he goes on to give three parables. And these three parables explains why there is such a high cost to being a disciple. You have a man building a tower, you have a king going to war, and then you have a salt and its flavor. The common interpretation of this is that believers are the builder. Believers are the king. And believers are the salt. So if you interpret it that way, then this is how that would go. Is if you're a builder, does a builder not count the cost? So as a believer and as a follower of Jesus, you should count the cost before you say yes to the calling on your life because the cost is going to be great. It is going to be dangerous. So count the cost so that you finish. Otherwise, everyone's going to look around at you and they're going to laugh and they're going to say, that's the person that didn't count the cost and now they aren't able to finish the race. That's if you interpret it that way. The king who goes on to war, who doesn't count the cost of having enough warriors or going to make delegation for peace, and you'll be in ruin because as a king you did not make a wise decision. You didn't count the cost. That is one way to interpret this. But then there's another way to look at this passage, and I tend to align uh, with some biblical scholars who believe that it is actually Jesus who's the builder. It's actually Jesus who is the king. Doesn't it make more sense that the builder of his church would be Jesus? That the king would be Jesus that's waging war against the enemy? Warren Wiersbe says this, He is the one who must count the cost to see whether we are the kind of material he can use to build the church and to battle the enemy. I love that. I want to... Can we just, can we lean into that one more time? Listen, lean into this real quick. Warren Wearsby, he says it this way. Jesus is the one 
who must count the cost to see whether we are the kind of material that he can use to build the church and battle the enemy. He cannot get the job done with half-hearted followers who will not pay the price. Let that sink in. What if right now Jesus is, he's, he's, he's looking at the raw material in your life. What if in this moment Jesus is looking at your allegiances? He's looking at how you're prioritizing your life. What if Jesus is looking at how you use your resources? Building a tower is costly and going into war is dangerous. And he's looking at his builders. He's, he's looking at his material. He's looking at his soldiers and he's saying, can I unleash them? Do, do I trust them enough to, to build the house? Do I trust them enough to battle the enemy? I'm thinking about him looking out over the crowds. And he's thinking, I just don't know that you guys get it. I think you think this is something it's not. This is, this is not this just fun thing that we're all a part of and we're doing together. No, I need you to understand that like, I'm looking at your life. I'm seeing the materials. I'm seeing that it's, it's too dangerous for some of you. You're not spiritually ready to battle the enemy that's out there because what's going to end up happening, you're going to say, no, I'm ready, God. I got this. Like, I love you. You're awesome. Count me in, coach. I'm in. And then you come in thinking that it's something that it's not, and then you get taken out early because you were never ready to begin with. God is saying, no, I want, I want to see the raw material of your life that has one sole allegiance to me. Love for me. I want to see you love me so much that it looks like you hate everyone and everything else in this world. Maybe then you would have good enough raw material that I want to release you to build the church. Maybe then you would have enough strength as a soldier to go out and wage enemy, wage the battle with the enemy. I don't want to see you have finished a job. I want to see you finish the race that I've called you to. He's thinning the herd. And I want to ask you, church, some, we may need to thin the herd. I don't want to see you get crushed. I don't want to see you step out to do something that you're just not ready for. Or maybe you haven't just fully counted the cost of what it's going to mean in your life. You know, it's so interesting. Who's counting the cost here? And even as I say, you know, you haven't count. The reality is, yes, count the cost. Yeah, there's a great cost to be had out there. Everything is at stake. But in the reality, like Jesus is counting the cost on your life. Your responsibility is to be submitted to him. Surrender to him. Serve where he wants you to serve. Love like he wants you to love. He will raise you up at the appropriate time. You know, just before this passage... He talks about, you know, being at a wedding and sitting at the seat of honor. And he says, no, don't ever take a seat of, 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 of the front where there's most honor because what if somebody more important than you comes up and you end up in the back? You're going to be ashamed of yourself. No, no, no. Sit in the back and let me elevate you. Listen, church. 
Some of you may say, you know, I want to serve, but God's put big things on my life. No, but we really need you to set up chairs. No, God's got big plans for my life. I need a microphone. No, but we really need you to take out the trash. No, no, no. God's got big plans for my life. I want to lead a team. No, but what you don't understand, what you don't understand is that we want you to serve people. We want you to serve in the parking lot. You don't understand. God's called me. Look, when you elevate yourself, when that's the means to your end, you're going to be sorely disappointed that you elevated yourself. But when God elevates you, man can't tear it down. That's the, that's the whole thing of the passage is when you come in as a servant of Christ and he releases you to the mission that he's called you to, nothing can take you down. Nothing can defeat you. But if you come in for a platform or for elevation, then the enemy can take you out because you're living in a space that God has not called you to, that God has not elevated you to. You see, what Jesus is doing here is executing damage prevention. He's saying, wait, hold on, b- b- before you, hold on, before you go out, I want, I want, to, count, I want to count the cost on your life to see, because I, I don't want to see you, right? He's, this is damage prevention based on foresight and hindsight. I want to read you a story. This is a really powerful book. It's called Jesus Freaks. And this book recounts, it's called Jesus Freaks, The Voice of the Martyrs. It it recounts people that really got it. People that the Lord used in a really powerful way to truly give it all. Jess and I have had the privilege of traveling all around the world and visiting a lot of these countries that it's illegal to share the gospel. It's illegal to proselytize. And, and in many ways, many countries, it's illegal to be a, a believer, an actual follower of Christ. And so here, you hear me talking about, don't you understand? Count the cost. Count, like, don't you understand? No other allegiance. And you hear this, and you know, you should look like, hey, your father and your mother. You realize that in some countries, in order to become a follower of Jesus, it does actually mean that you have to denounce your father and your mother. In some countries, it actually means that you have to choose. Am I going to be a follower of Jesus, or am I going to let my family disown me? And in many countries, even if you follow Jesus, not only will your family disown you, the community will disown you. You won't be able to get a job. You you start to understand, like, literally give it all. Like, unless someone is, the scripture, verse 33, unless they're willing to give everything up to me, they're not going to be my disciple. I want to read you two stories of people that understood that. The story is titled, Honor Your Mother. Tell us, the officer shouted as he brought the whip down again across the pastor's back. We must know who else is working with you. Day after day, the communists tortured Reverend Fang Chen. But no matter what they did to him, he steadfastly refused to give him the names of his fellow Christians. One day, Chang was brought again before the examining officer. In a corner of the room, he saw a heap of rags and heard a rattling of chains. As the image became clear, he realized it was his mother. Before she did not have white hair, now she had. The color of her face was like ashes. 
she could see that she too had passed through heavy suffering. The communists spoke to Chang. I have heard that you Christians have ten commandments supposedly given by God, which you strive to obey. I would be interested in knowing them. Would you be so kind as to recite the Ten Commandments? Ching was in a terrible state of heart. But any opportunity to acquaint a communist with God's law must not be neglected. He began to list the commandments. When he arrived at honor your father and mother, he was interrupted. The communist told him, Chang, I want to give you the opportunity to honor your mother. Here she is, suffering in chains. Tell us what you know about your brethren in faith, and I promise that tonight you and your mother will be free. You will be able to give her care and honor. Let me see now whether you really believe in God and wish to fulfill His commandment. It was not easy to make a decision. Chang turned to his mother. Mother, what shall I do? The mother answered, I have taught you from childhood to love Christ and his holy church. Don't mind my suffering. Seek to remain faithful to the Savior and his little brothers. If you betray, you're no, long, no more my son. This was the last time that Feng Chin saw his mother, and it was likely that she died under torture. This one is the courage of a child, five years old. Over and over, the mother spoke soothing words to her five-year-old child as they sat in their dark room, damp cell. The woman was in jail because she had protested against the arrest of her bishop. Her child was in jail because the little girl had nowhere else to go. All the prisoners were indignant at seeing the child suffer so. Even the prison director said to the mother, don't you have pity on your daughter? Just declare that you give up on being a Christian and will not go to church anymore. Then you and your child will be free. In despair, the woman agreed, and she was released. After two weeks, she was forced to shout from a stage before 10,000 people, I'm no longer a Christian. On their return home, the child who had stood near her when she denied her faith said, Mommy, today Jesus is not satisfied with you. The mother explained, you wept in prison. I had to say this out of love for you. Sayome replied, I promise that if we go to jail again for Jesus, I will not weep. The mother ran to the prison director and told him, you convinced me I should say wrong things for my daughter's sake, but she has more courage than I. Both went back to prison but Sayomay no longer wept. How is it that a five-year-old little girl 
gets it more than we do. Does that not look like so much love for Jesus that she hates her own mother? What would you have said? What would you have done? Final question that I want us to consider is what is the most useful posture? We talked about who is the most important person. We've talked about what is our most important possessions. You know, if we wouldn't be willing to give everything that we own, we wouldn't be willing to carry our cross. We cannot be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. But he goes on even further here in verse 34. He says this, Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone with ears should hear, should listen and understand. Are you salty? We see in Matthew, Jesus explains that if you're a follower of Jesus, then you are the salt of the earth. And I want to encourage you to stay salty. Salt is connected to your character. I want to talk to you about five if statements in Scripture. We saw two of them just now. But if we're looking at the bigger picture of Jesus' Asking a lot of, if you want to follow me, then this. And if not, you cannot. And there are five if statements in Scripture that are identifiers of a true disciple. And so if you're taking notes, I highly encourage you, write these five down. Come back to them later on. And really take a little bit of evaluation on your life to say, like, am, am, I, am I a fan of who Jesus is? Or am I truly going to follow and be a disciple of Jesus, a learner. These are good identifiers for that. The first if statement is, if you love one another. This is John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus is saying that the whole world will know depending on whether or not you meet people where they are, whether or not you meet the needs of those that are around you, whether or not you serve those that are most vulnerable in your community. This is, one of, this is the first if statement. Number two, if you abide in his word. John 8, 31, 32. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you continue in the word, another way to think through that passage is to think through it through the lens of if you remain faithful in my word, if you remain committed to the truths found in my word, then you will find freedom and you will be my disciple. So the first identifier is that you will love one another. I mean, why, why do you think, 
Why do you think a lot of the people outside of the church don't want to be involved in church? Because Christians look like they hate each other. It takes five minutes being on social media to see like, wow, Christians fight with each other more than non-Christians fight with each other. I'm out. That's not the Jesus way. That's us going our own way. That's us choosing what we want. That's the church living in sin. If the church wants to live in unity together, on mission together, and to be identifiable as a follower of Jesus, then we'll be loving one another. And the church will, if somebody comes to me and says something negative about a church here in Colorado, guess what I'm going to say? Hey, we shouldn't, we shouldn't say that. We shouldn't talk like that. That's my friend. Why? Because I want to honor. I want to love. By this, they will know that you're my disciples. And then, Abide in the word. And number three, if you deny yourself. Mark 8.34 says this. Calling the crowds along with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But for whoever wants to lose his life because of me and the gospel will save it. If anyone wants to follow, let him deny himself. We've already talked about this, but I just want to say it one more time, just for good measure. It's not about you. I love you. I care for you. But at the end of the day, I answer to Jesus. At the the end of the day, you answer to Jesus. It's not about you. Number four, if you have no other allegiances, Luke 14, 26. I said, if you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison hate everyone else. Jesus is talking about allegiances here. And he will not share his allegiance and he will not share his glory. That he's to be our sole desire, our sole love. Number five, if you're willing to die for Jesus, Luke 14, 27. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Are you willing to give your all? See, if you have, it says, love for Jesus, faithfully abide in his word, deny yourself daily, have no other allegiances, and are willing to give all for the sake of Christ, then here we go. You ready for this? Good news. You're a disciple of Jesus. How many of you today can say, I check every single one of those boxes? Talk about sin in the herd. Talk about people counting themselves. No, I don't want to do that. But I... I want to look at this more of an exclusion, more than an exclusion. I want to look at this as an invitation. This is an invitation to be a disciple of Christ. I just want you to clearly understand what it means to be a disciple of Christ. It would be bad shepherding of me if if I'm leading you somewhere that's dangerous, that's costly, and I never tell you about it. Hey, look. Everybody don't worry about a thing. Everything's going to be all good. And then when spiritual warfare comes and things get crazy, and here we're asking for you to give your money and your time, you're like, whoa, I thought we were going to have fun. This is getting crazy. No, No, I want to let you know in advance. No, what God is calling us to as a church, to live on mission for him and to be disciple, comes at a high cost. It comes at your life. Everything comes with all of your allegiance. 
Which of these if statements that I talked about today are called into question in your life? See, I don't want to leave an if and or but on the table. Jesus and, no, 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 I don't want to, Jesus, but I have this season of life that I'm moving into. No, I don't want any ifs, ands, or buts. I want to be all in to what God has called me to do. I want to go from being a spectator, like the crowds were that day, to being a participator. I want to go from being a watcher to being a soldier, from being a fan of who Jesus is to being a follower, from just being a part of the trend, we're all following Jesus, it's cool now, it's okay, to being a threat to the enemy. But the only way to do that is to not leave an if, and, or but on the table. And to truly respond to the disciple that God has called us to be. So to recap, have you considered who's the most important person in your life? What's your most prized possession? And what posture are you taking right now? Is it about you? Or is it all about Jesus? Oswald Chambers says this, there is never any compulsion. Jesus does not coerce us. There is only one way of being a disciple, and that is by, and that is by being devoted to Jesus. That's why I love the if statements. Jesus gives us an opportunity to opt in or to opt out. After reading everything that we talked about today, you can say, you know what? Hey, look, I, I, I'm for showing up to church. Give me all the church, but I I don't know that I'm ready for that yet. Look, I want to tell you right now, keep showing up. Keep showing up. We're glad that you're here. And we want to walk the journey with you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But at the same time, we want to let you know exactly what it entails, what lies ahead. And if you are someone who claims to be a follower, then I want us to take a really intentional reflection on our lives. I know this for me, as I was studying to prepare this, I did not want to preach it. Like this is just too, this is too personal. It's too intense. I just felt like God just kept telling me, no, someone needs to hear this. Someone is putting their, their kids over me. Someone is putting their wife over me, their husband over me. Somebody's priorities here are out of whack. Somebody is putting their money over me. That they're stingy. They're not giving to the church. They're not giving to the mission that you've called it to. And I just want you to let them know there is a cost. If we say that we're truly a disciple of Jesus. So the question that I have is, will you be a disciple? I want to take just a minute right now, and we're going to go, we're going to have a few songs, but I want to pray for you as you begin to reflect on this passage of Scripture and the truth found in it and maybe what God has already spoken over your life, I'm going to pray for you. Uh, and then I also, I want to give you another invitation. One invitation is to be a disciple, but I want to also give you another invitation to be a, a son, a daughter of the King, to become a part of the family. So maybe if you're watching this today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, I want to make it as very simple as I can for you. You don't have to be perfect to come to Jesus. Actually, if you're not perfect, 
then congratulations. You're just like the other billions and billions of people who've said yes to Jesus, that we come to him just the way that we are. All of our imperfections, all of our curiosities, all of the things that we don't understand of who he is. I know I didn't have any of the an- those answers whenever I said yes to Jesus. But he gives us an invitation to come to us just the way that we are. But he does not leave us that way. Little by little, God begins to change and transform your life. You can say yes to Jesus today. Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He died on a cross to stand in the gap to take your penalty of sin. We deserve sin. We have sinned, and therefore we deserve death. Jesus in his love, God sent him down, and in his love for us says, no, I'm going to take your penalty. You see, salvation is free. It's this free gift that he offers us to those that believe, but it's not cheap. It came at a high price. Jesus' life. But he came, he died, and he rose from the dead. And he's alive today. It says, come to me. Come to me. So if you're weary, if you're burdened, he says, come to me. If you're confused, if you're frustrated in this season, he says, come to me. If you confess your sins, put your faith in him, Jesus will save you and he'll change your life. You see, scripture says, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone. All things are made new. God wants to do something new in your life. Come to him. I'm going to pray a prayer. I want you to pray it with me, and then I'm going to pray another prayer over you. Let's pray this together. If you want to say yes to Jesus, pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I don't have all of the answers, but with all of the faith that I have, I put in you. I believe that you rose from the grave. I believe that you are Savior. I believe that you're the way the truth, and the life. Father, forgive me of my sins. Thank you for saving me. It's in your name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, then welcome to the family. It's the most important decision I believe that you'll ever make in your life. And you're beginning a journey, and a journey that we want to walk with and walk with you. So make sure you go fill out a Connect card. Let us know that you made a decision to follow Jesus And we want to walk with you on that journey. Hey, thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more, or if you'd like to join us on a Sunday, head on over to pinewoodboulder.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it. And if you'd like to be notified every time we post new content, then subscribe. And remember, just keep coming back.